Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And this week, what I'd like to do is share an analysis with you um, where I compared what was really important, uh, buying under fair market value or in fact, uh, buying at a perfect time of the market uh, or buying the right asset. And if you've listened to any of my podcasts, I'm sure you're going to um, guess what the answer, the right answer is going to be. Uh, but it's important uh, to always, in my view, important to always adopt evidence-based strategies. That is that it you shouldn't need to rely on someone's opinion about what is the best thing to do. Uh, that most uh, strategies um, and methodologies can be proven often with very simple math. Uh, and that way you can um, put your reliance on the evidence rather than the person uh, sharing their opinion. And that's evidence-based investing, which I'm a big fan of. And uh, I don't give any advice to clients unless there's an overwhelming body of evidence that demonstrates if we take that course of action, uh, we're going to be very comfortable with the returns. Um, so the price that you pay for an investment property only matters if you buy the wrong asset. So let me say that again. The price that you pay for an investment, so that is whether you pay fair market value or whether you get yourself a deal and you're able to pay you know, $20,000 less than fair market value, only matters if you buy the wrong asset. Because an investment grade asset will in the long run mask any purchasing mistakes. And that's why I always counsel clients to focus on the quality of the asset as that's the most important thing. Now, of course, most, most of us don't want to overpay for an investment property. I mean, that's just common sense, right? But I think the desire to avoid making a mistake, so overpaying, um, is driven by two things, um, ego and misinformation. The ego thing is that um, you'd feel like a complete idiot if you bought a property today and then prices dropped by $50,000 overnight uh, or, or over a week or over a very short period of time because you think, oh my God, I just bought just before prices fell uh, and I could have uh, ended up saving myself some money. No one likes to feel stupid and that's why we start telling ourselves a bit of a story that actually the price that we pay for an asset uh, is a reflection on how smart and astute we are as investors. The misinformation part is really the misinformation that actually we think it matters. We think it actually matters that if I can go and buy a property um, and and my negotiating is so good that I save $50,000 on what I otherwise would have paid, we tell ourselves a story that's actually going to increase our investment returns. Well, of course it will, but it won't, won't increase investment returns materially. So what I did is I did some financial analysis, of course, because that's what I like to do in everything that I um, I look at. And uh, so if you're not a numbers person, I question why you're listening to this podcast in the first place. But anyway, uh, what I did is I compared um, the scenario of investing in a $750,000 property, borrowing the full cost, including stamp duty, so you're not putting any of your own cash into the acquisition initially, you're using all the bank's money, uh, holding that asset for 20 years and then selling, paying selling costs, capital gains tax, so forth. And then what I need, then what I did is worked out what is the compounding annual growth rate as a result of making that investment. 
Of course, the only cash that you really contributed towards the investment is the holding costs. You know, that is that the net rental income typically isn't enough to pay for the interest costs, uh, the servicing costs. So, you know, it takes some money out of your pocket every month or year. Uh, and that's really the cash that you're contributing towards the investment. Uh, and then what I did is I altered two variables. The first one is the price that you paid for that asset, whether you paid uh, exactly its intrinsic value or whether you paid, say, 10% less than its intrinsic value or 10% too much. So it's really the first variable is how well did you do in terms of um, pricing? Uh, and then the second variable I varied was the average capital growth rate over that 20-year period. And um, essentially what it demonstrated is that if you, if you purchase an asset with, say, 3% capital growth, then the price that you pay for the asset is uh, very sensitive and you know, has, has a large impact on your overall return in the long run. And the reason, and it makes sense, right? The reason for that is just because there's not enough capital growth uh, in the asset, and then naturally, uh, you know, you're reliant upon uh, crystallizing um, some equity in the property by buying well, or if you overpay for the asset, it really eats into the small amount of capital growth that you're going to enjoy over the 20-year period anyway. Uh, so uh, put some numbers around it. If you purchase for less. 10% below intrinsic value, um, you increase your overall return by 75%, whereas if you overpay by 10%, you reduce your overall return by 77%. They look like they sound like big numbers, but really the range uh, between you know overpaying, underpaying, uh, the compounding annual growth rate return is between one and seven and a half percent. So whilst the um, differences are large, the actual overall return is small because we're only buying an asset that's appreciating at 3% per annum. Whereas if we buy an asset that gives us 9% capital growth over a 20-year period, um, the plus or minus is between 8 and 10%. That is, if we um, buy well, we get to increase our return by 10%. And if we end up overpaying for an asset, well, our overall return reduces by about 8%. So it's far less sensitive to the price that we pay for the asset compared to its intrinsic value. And the return ranges between 20 and 25%. That is, that's our compounding annual growth rate of return after tax as a result of making this investment. So even if you make a mistake and you make 20% per annum, I guess you're not going to be too upset as a result of that. Now, the numbers, as always, are in the table in the show notes and also on the website. So uh, feel free to uh, check them out. Uh, and I used a, a few different scenarios, uh, 5, 7, 9, 3% capital growth rate, uh, and I varied them over that time. So it just makes sense that the best way to mitigate risk is by levering, leveling up on quality. So that is, if you do make an accidental small mistake on either buying at the wrong time or paying a little bit too much for the asset, as long as you get the right asset, um, in the long run, your returns will be fantastically well and probably not materially impaired by your initial mistake. Uh, now, adapting a quote that Warren Buffett has made, uh, this is what I would say. I would much prefer to buy a great asset at a fair price than a fair property at a great price. And that's really important because it's that value of the quality or the underlying quality of asset. 
See, buying well or overpaying will only impact your investment returns in one year. It's a one-off event. Whereas the quality of the asset will impact your returns each and every year. As such, you'll remember or be reminded of an asset's quality long after you've forgotten how much you paid for it or when you purchased it, as in, was it a good time uh, in inverted commas to buy? Uh, so sometimes the desire to buy well encourages investors to set a budget that's too low for the actual property. And if they do that, they'll repeatedly miss out on the opportunities to buy a high quality asset. Um, this approach is misguided because the simple math just shows to us that the quality is more important than the price. The price determines what you pay, the quality determines what you will receive in the future. So you're far better off to be realistic about an asset's price and in fact be very prepared to pay fair market value for a quality asset. As long as you do that and you go out into the marketplace and you have the right advice, uh, very, there's, there's a good chance you'll do well. If you are um, insistent or persistent on getting yourself a deal, always paying less than fair market value, um, I'm not sure you're going to be successful. Uh, in fact, I would say that buying for less than intrinsic value is really dependent on luck more than anything else. I mean, it is possible to purchase a property for less than intrinsic value. I've done it and I've seen it done a few times, but my thesis is that it's really just a result of being in the right time at the right place. And there's not much you can do through design other than being in the marketplace, being prepared to see value, being prepared to act quickly. They're the things you typically need to do to be able to take advantage of a good deal. But in terms of finding the good deal or creating the good deal, there's not a lot you and I can do from that. It's really just a bit of random luck. Uh, now, you might be lucky that random luck might strike you uh, only two weeks into your search campaign, or you may never be lucky and you'll be searching for the rest of your life. In the meantime, you're missing out on, um, uh, on capital growth. Uh, so what makes a quality property? When I talk about quality property, just as a bit of a refresh for people that um, haven't been listening to my podcast for a long period of time, well, the high quality property is one that's going to benefit from perpetually high demand, but that property is in finite or short supply. So you're always going to have more demand than you do supply. And that then, of course, leads to property price growth. And there's really three attributes we're looking for. The first one is it must have a long and stable history of above average capital growth. So that is capital, a capital growth rate that's better than the median house price uh, in the capital city it's located in. And you can, track past, uh, you can track past growth by having a look at past sales of the subject property, but also the property surrounding that asset that are directly comparable. So quite often, if you're looking at a single-fronted Victorian cottage, for example, quite often they're in streets that contain very similar assets, you know, single-fronted Victorian cottages uh, in that street, and you can pick out five or six either side, and it builds a really large body of evidence of what is that capital growth rate. Um, and that, again, evidence-based investing, it, it, you're not throwing darts at a dartboard, you're buying an asset that has proven attributes that dem demonstrate strong capital growth. The second one, the second attribute we're looking for is by, by their very nature, investment grade property assets are pre predominantly represented by land value. So there's more than 
of the total value of the asset is land value. And as a result, of course, uh, less than 50% is building value. And, and this is ensured to, this is important, sorry, to ensure it has the fundamentals to drive that long-term growth, to offset any depreciation and then drive overall growth. As we know, land appreciates, building depreciate. And third, the asset must have two elements of scarcity. The first element must be scarcity in terms of location. So it's in a location that's highly desirable without any supply of vacant land in close proximity. I would say in sort of 10 or 15 minutes drive, very difficult to find a vacant block of land. So that's really the locality. And then secondly, scarcity in dwelling style. So it must be scarce that, I mean, high rise apartments are a really good example of a, of a dwelling style that, that is not scarce. If you're in an apartment block with 200 other apartments, there's nothing scarce about that. Um, but small blocks of uh, apartments built in the 1970s or prior, for example, eight on a block, that's an example of a scarce asset. Heritage house architectural styles like Art Deco or Victorian are in very finite supply, if not reducing supply, uh, and benefit from wide appeal. That's an example of scarcity. So really, you want that long history of capital growth. You want a strong land value component. Uh, and then you want scarcity in terms of locality and architectural style. That's what makes, say, those three attributes make a high quality or investment grade asset. That's what you should, in my view, uh, be focusing all your attention on is buying the right asset. Therefore, that takes away the anxiety about whether now is the right time to buy. Because now's the right time to buy if you're looking at a, at a there's no such thing as a perfect asset, but a close to perfect asset. If you're looking at that and you can buy it for a fair market value, then now is absolutely the right time to buy. If there aren't any investment grade assets in the locations that you're looking at, then now is not the right time to buy. And I posit that that is what we all should be thinking about. Uh, and I posit that because the basic math proves that that is the key criteria we need to get right. And even if we purchase today and prices drop by 10% tomorrow, I think it's highly unlikely. But even if they do, we know the simple math proves that it's really not going to have a big impact on our overall returns. So as always, uh, there's more information on the blog on the website and the, the show notes in the podcast. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, I'd love for you to rate it on, on Apple or uh, where, whatever you're using to listen to this. Um, more ratings, the better, of course, and uh, I enjoy getting the feedback. Um, and until next week, bye for now.